that is why in-person class is so crucial to really build the students as a whole, not just to, to throw information at them. Because remember, at the end of the day, we're not, we're not, we're not just teaching curriculum. We're not just teaching science, math, and all that. We're teaching students. We're teaching human beings, and we need to develop that as a whole, not just intellectually, but you know, emotionally, uh, spiritually, all that stuff needs to be incorporated. Episode two, Disconnected, Education and COVID-19. Disclaimer, our views or the views of our guests do not equate to the views of the University of Toronto as a whole. There will be two parts of this episode. Part one focuses on education and a secondary and elementary level. And part two will focus on post-secondary education. Welcome to part one. Welcome to the Six Feet Apart podcast. I'm your co-host, Joelle, with Lucy, Cassandra, and Ahmed. Follow our Instagram at six underscore feet underscore apart. Check out our Twitter at six apart and our email six feet apart podcast at gmail.com. Six as in six I X. Today's episode will be about transformation and education during COVID-19. Yeah, so today we're going to be talking about education from elementary level to post-secondary level and how everything's just gone out the window in the past six months, I guess it's been. I can remember back in March when we were all ripped from our dear, dear home of the University of Toronto, and now we've been stuck in our homes, losing brain cells by the day. But it's also a good time to reflect, think about what was going on in that final semester, the winter semester, and what needs to be changed as we're going back in the fall. And so we took to our Instagram for this episode to kind of incorporate the audience's perspective. So we, throughout this episode, we will be having different opinion polls that we're sharing. So one poll we had was, did you like your educational experience online? And if not, why not? So for the general question of, did you like your experience with online education? A majority of the people said, no, they did not. And it was a small sample size, I'll admit it. But I think that is the general vibe that I get from my friends and other students I talk to. A lot of people had a very difficult time with learning online. Um, And some of the reasons people didn't like it was it was harder to focus at home They missed the vibe of being in class and seeing colleagues. Someone said their teachers didn't really teach anymore. There weren't any Zoom calls. It was just posting assignments. Um, Someone said that they had to sit down in one place for hours at a time and having to teach yourself the new material. And a lot about just being distracted at home while also bored at home and lots of inconsistency in course instruction. And historical advancements in the classroom have been something that have been happening for years. Growing up as Gen Z, I know we're not necessarily blindsided by new technological advancements in the classroom. We've definitely seen it all from chalkboards to overhead or Elmo projectors, smart boards, and Google Slides. And I think around fifth grade, they introduced overhead or Elmo projectors And you'd usually have these markers and then the light would project it onto 
a chalkboard or just a blank sheet to sort of cater to projecting an image of a laminated worksheet. And I just one drop of moisture on that paper and it would just be unreadable. The worksheet would be unreadable and the teacher would always try to like wipe it off and then just like erase half the worksheet. So yeah, that was fun. And the laminated worksheet would always just like not exactly fit the frame. So no matter what, we couldn't read like a part of the question, which would just screw up the whole lesson as the teacher tried to like look behind, look behind to see the projector and try to fix it and just make it work. Yeah, I can remember those days, like especially when they just brought out smart boards and it was like the new thing. Every classroom was getting them installed. And like you'd have those shorter teachers who were just struggling to turn them on. And you knew you were tall if the teacher came and asked you to turn on the smart board. Ooh, back in the day. Yeah. So we've definitely come a long way, but... Mm. Not too far. Not too far. Not too far at all. And um, now what we have in university and what most colleges uses is a platform called Blackboard. So Blackboard is an educational tool used by most um, post-secondary institutions designed to allow students and faculty to participate in classes online or use online materials to complete or to complement face-to-face teachings. Classes usually had online options, usually recorded their lectures and uploaded it there, as well as announcements and assignments. However, as due to COVID-19, the function of it drastically changed to live lectures, virtual classrooms for tutoring, and live comments and or questions. And from there, we have Zoom, which is a more extracurricular social and professional platform that has been really popular. Yeah, I don't know about you guys, but I did not know anything about Zoom before COVID-19. Yeah, I've never heard of it before. Yeah, but those Zoom people are probably like rolling in cash right now because literally everyone's using Zoom. Yeah, rolling in cash, getting our private info. Yeah, I think it's just kind of crazy that pretty much everyone, no matter if you're like a teacher, a student, or and any other sector, like you're using Zoom or you, you're using some way to do video conferencing. Um, and I think that was something we really wanted to focus on for this episode was getting the educator's perspective rather than just the student's perspective, because we are obviously all students and we get to like grumble about how difficult online education was for us. But I think we sometimes neglect to appreciate how difficult it was for the schools in transitioning to this whole new platform. So throughout this episode, we'll be sharing our interviews with educators from all different levels, from uh, from elementary school to post-secondary education. So yeah, I'm excited to show you guys what they had to say. Question one, how is it adapting to being put behind a screen and what were the challenges of learning and teaching? Yeah, so I got a chance to talk to Mr. Weir, who is an associate principal of an elementary school in the United States, and this is what he had to say about the challenges of learning online. I think what it highlighted was that the planning process in terms of 
you know, the brick and mortar was the central focus. And no one anticipated that there would come a time as we've entered that um, technology would need to be, you know, um, intensified. Yeah, and I talked to uh, Mr. Martin, who's currently a secondary school teacher, um, and he's teaching in St. Thomas uh, Catholic School. And he had a couple of points to talk about how uh, online learning has really affected the way that he has to adapt and teach other students, um, especially with considering how easy it is for students to lose attention while they're at home um, and not pay attention to the class or and not attend class, especially when it's online. And this is the way he said about it. In, in my opinion, I feel that um, the learning exceptionality that students may have definitely affects how they would learn in an online format or a distance learning format. Because in this case, when everything is all online, just being on your computer, it's so easy to just have you know the class on one tab and then, I don't know, YouTube or like a game on a separate window or separate screen. Um, so it's definitely easier to distract yourself uh, when you're at home. I remember when I was a student myself, I couldn't study at home. I was I was the person that was always in the library because that's where I was able to focus. When at home, that that's where I relax, that's where I chill, that's where I play video games, watch uh, you know YouTube and all that. That's not where I learn essentially. Uh, a lot of students don't enjoy online learning. They don't like it uh, for reasons that it's it's. Um, almost more work in some cases. They miss seeing their friends. They just, they miss that interaction portion, right? That's really what lacks the, the connection, you know, being built between, you know, teacher-student, that rapport, and between peers. Uh, and I think this really brought light that aspect that that is needed. And that is why in-person class is so crucial to really build the students as a whole, not just to, to throw information at them. Because remember, at the end of the day, we're not, we're not, we're not just teaching curriculum. We're not just teaching science, math, and all that. We're teaching students. We're teaching human beings. And we need to develop that as a whole, not just intellectually, but you know, emotionally, uh, spiritually, all that stuff needs to be incorporated. Yeah. Um, I also got a chance to talk to an educator, Mr. Noel, who's been doing this for almost 10 years. And he had this to say about the kinds of difficulties students would encounter with online learning. I would say hands-on learners. I'm going to say visual learner, but it's not going to be what well, you're going to say. Well, you know, they have, they have an opportunity to look at it right there, you know, but no, I mean like somebody who they say somebody who has trouble with math, you know, and then they see the equations being done and they're able to, Oh, I get it now. This, that, the other. And then they're able to, um, to extrapolate it that way. I think those people are in um, a situation, people who have issues with concentration because the problem is with at home, there's all of your distractions are there. Yeah. You've, desi you've designed your house for that. You know what I mean? It's designed to be your, your place. I think those kind of people may have some issues. I'm also, I'm not too sure, but I would think that uh, special education might be very difficult over the internet. I think that's something that definitely needs to be hands on. So I'm not too sure how that's going or even if it's going. That also, when we're talking about working from home, like your home is designed for distractions. This is a place where you're supposed to feel at ease, feel comfortable. So for most students who don't like school, when you're asked to take school home, that's like so ironic. Yeah, I think um, a very important point is that 
a lot of people even especially me i find it very difficult to study at home generally even when i'm studying i either go to a library or um, stay at school and study there just because there's so much less distractions and i can actually focus on what is what's in front of me especially also like the environment of seeing other people study also helps you focus and concentrate when you're what what you want to study and so to stay at home all the time and have the motivation to study i think is very difficult and hard for some students to realize Coming home definitely made me miss Robart's library and all its depressing glory because it's just great to be in a sterile environment where there's nothing else fun to think about and it just makes it so much easier to study. So yeah. I miss Robart's. I can definitely agree. Definitely. Like when we're like at UTSC, when you find those like quiet spaces with no one there and you can just go and study and get in the zone. Like, it's hard to find that at home or even, like, like within your own housing setting. Yeah, I remember when everybody said that Scarborough's library was so depressing, and now I just kind of miss that so much. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, now we ask them, what are the benefits or the easiest parts of learning online for students? Yeah, so Mr. Weir, again, had an insight into... Uh, elementary school children adapting to technology. I definitely saw some children did prefer using the online and those were, you know, we, we are very, um, you know, a highly technical um, generation uh, who use it for social purposes. And so the adaptability was easier because of the knowledge and the, the familiarity with technology, uh, I think the only challenge was transitioning the social aspect of technology to academic. It's true. Like we always use technology as like a social entertainment thing and we don't really think about it in terms of an academic environment, but we do come like pre-equipped with the tools to use our computers and our phones in any way that we need to. Like we already have such high digital literacy as a generation. So I think it's a plus that we didn't have to spend a lot of time teaching kids how to go and use computers. Yeah, I think one of the points that is um, that is very important is that um, students as well don't have the same difficulties that some teachers have. Um, so a lot of teachers didn't grow up with the technology that we're used to. Um, and and it's very difficult for some teachers to to become adapted to uh, the new technology and how to use it and interact with it, especially uh, this intense intensely since everything now is dependent online. Um, while students, it's much easier for them because we're used to all the technology, you know, using Zoom or uh, or Skype or uh, Google Docs, all this stuff. We're already used to that stuff and we use them regularly, so it's very easy for us um, to interact through that. But I think. Uh, one of the problems was for teachers to accommodate, uh, to get adapted to the new technology. Yeah, that's so true, Amit. Because, like, a lot of, like, some of the criticisms that we got from the poll was that teachers' instruction was so limited and so different online. And, I mean, I think what this quarantine has shown is that, like, a lot of teachers don't know how to fully adapt their teaching style or even the curriculum online in a way that is equally beneficial for students. Definitely. 
Yeah, I think there are a lot of discrepancies because although a lot of Gen Z children have have a background in using technology, they haven't necessarily had a background in using technology within the bounds of the classroom. And I got some statistics from Education Technologies Inequalities, which is an article I found. And it quotes here, a study from Northwestern University found that high-achieving North California eighth graders who took Algebra 1 online performed worse than similar students who took the course in a traditional classroom. A study from the America Institutes of Research found that students working online were 10% points 10 percentage points less likely to pass than students randomly assigned to take the course face-to-face, 66% compared to 76%. And I think that this shows that even if students do have means, the type of education they receive is so significantly different than standard in-person teaching that it's affecting their test scores. Yeah, and I think that also brings up the bigger question of, do they even have the same access to the technology and that was something that we wanted to ask all of the educators we got to interview so i know ahmed your interviewee had a good answer to that yeah so um martin talked a lot about the inequalities that students have faced ever since um the the online education has started um ranging all the way from um technological inequalities um, to socioeconomic inequalities, um, where some students have had to work um, to uh, support their families during these unprecedented times. Um, And this is what he said about it. So with regards to inequalities, uh, they were definitely highlighted um, in this distance learning format. A couple came out. uh, I'll speak on them as I go. One of them was definitely lack of technology. So in this case, uh, some students, they may not have access you know, really good Wi-Fi. Uh, they might not even have like a, a proper computer or laptop that they have access to uh, during most of the time of the day. Because one thing that happened was that, you know, some of these kids, they might have one laptop or one computer at home, but their parents are also working from home. So now for most of the day, their parents are using it or their family's using it and they don't have access to that. Uh, so in this case, one thing that I made sure is that my, uh, my teaching style, my mode of teaching, my lesson delivery would all be accessible via their phone or a laptop. So if, at least if they don't have a laptop, they can still sign in via their phone if they have one. Um, other issues that I saw was really with uh, time commitments. Um, so the idea that you know some students they aren't um, as lucky as others. They have to uh, work part time. They have to work a certain number of hours a week to help you know pay bills or help out around the house. Um, so I definitely found that that an issue with um, online learning and in that case because of their their time constraint um, what I did was I made sure that all of my online classes one were recorded so that if the student isn't able to you know sign in at the specific time they'd be able to watch it later on after their shift or another day when they're off and they're not tired uh, another thing I used I would do was I would provide a link in the classroom stream to a, I guess, a shorter YouTube video that summarizes the main concept that was taught. So all depends. If, if they want to watch the full 40 minutes to get the examples, they have that access to them. If they uh, are really tight on time because they're working so many hours, they can just watch the YouTube video and then uh, work on the online question homework or question sets that I posted. 
Um, and also uh, something I did with this idea of time commitment and time constraints with my students, I was very understanding with submission dates. Um, if they let me know that, you know, I'm working um, five days this week, um, I'd just be like, if you need an extension, let me know. Don't worry about it at all. Uh, I understand this is a very tough time, a very stressful period. Last thing that I want to do is add more stress to your day. This, which is a really great thing, this comes back to like teachers and like teacher communities and school communities stepping up. And like, this isn't always going to be the case, as we've seen, like with access to internet. I was able to ask Ms. Noel about this as well, and he had this to say about technological inequalities and access to basic things like internet. I think some of the biggest issues with the inequality is that it's those kind of things are based on uh, monetary, like like based on the amount of income, I guess you would have, right? If you don't have a solid internet, Maybe you won't be able to log into like the video caller. And if you can't do that, then how are you supposed to get your work? Because if you're a visual learner, then you may not be able to grasp the concept the same way that somebody else would be able to. And I mean, if you don't, even if you don't have a, forget internet, if you don't have a computer, then how are you supposed to be able to uh, access the, the teaching and, and things that they're giving you because um, with this whole pandemic that we're in, you know, there's libraries are not accessible anymore. And I knew a lot of people who used to use uh, library computers. I mean, I have a computer, but I still use them for the sake of, of being there. And like, I, I think that there's going to be a big divide and a big shift in terms of uh, how education is going to move going forward, because I don't think people are going to have the same ability to say, oh, I'm not at school today. So you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sick. So I missed the lesson because they're just, I think they're just going to start emailing lessons and like recording lessons. Even if people do go back to school, I think that that's, is going to be um, a, a different type of, uh, I just think that there's a lot of people who are going to get shook up from this, whether good or bad, but I think a lot of things are going to change. Internet wasn't such a big deal before, because if you didn't have a laptop, if you didn't have the internet, you could just go to the library. But like these public spaces aren't open anymore and we don't know when they will be open again. So this really goes back to students being self-motivated and like in a way, the less you have, the more motivated you would have to be to kind of make ends meet. Right. I think that also shows how much we kind of rely on the community to be open and available to us. And so once everything closes down, it's not like you're just losing the school. You're also losing the library. And there's just a lot of holes that the public education system has to account for. Yeah. And this also makes you want to take a look at the future of education. So we asked our guests, how will this affect the future of education at an elementary and secondary level? Yeah. So for the elementary level, Mr. Weir had this to say. Well, I think the long term is that technology will be a, a very much more an integral part of teaching and learning. I think it will be a, a, a good adjustment because we've gone through it and, and, and teachers have had to plan accordingly and students have had to learn accordingly. Um, so I think that would be the, the long term. And that would be a plus for, I think, all students because technology does drive most aspects of our economy and even our social interaction. And and so 
as, as kids become more familiar and more user savvy, um, they'll be able to use those skills as they become young adults transitioning into careers and, and opportunities that become available to them. Yeah, I was also able to ask Mr. Noel this question, and he had this to say. Um, I think a lot of a lot of students, if you're not if you're not uh, motivated uh, through yourself, it's very hard to be motivated because you're, there's no like. Let's be honest. There's a lot of students who just do well in school to chase clout, to just get awards and things like that. And if you're not getting the awards where you're you're upstaging whatever next student to chase clout, then what is my motivation behind that? Some people actually want to learn, but some people just do well because they're like, yo, I need to be the best at this. So that um, that's point where people are are going to again, I think it's it's all dependent on the individual. Like if I want to learn, I can learn. But if I don't want to learn, I am not going to learn. And that's how it is now. Like, I, I don't mean now. I mean, when you're in class, if you don't want to learn, you don't have to learn. You can choose not to. But now when it's self-directed and guided by the individual, when it's designed by the individual to say, okay, I want to do this and I want to learn about this, it's it's hard, but it's it's also something I was thinking about too is like, you have the opportunity now to learn more about things that you enjoy because, you know, it's, it's pretty much all self-directed learning right now. As much as you have a curriculum and things like that, I mean, nobody's stopping you from searching the internet for two hours to find out about like the Kingfisher or like the great, the great white heron or something. You know what I mean? Like you can learn about whatever you want to learn about now. So that's a good thing. But the problem is, there are teachers out there who know how to teach really well and can can connect with those students who have issues with learning and issues with figuring out what they want to do and issues with with learning the conventional way. So these teachers design a specific way for them to be able to, to stay engaged. And that's the thing that's being removed right now because, again, you don't have that interaction with the teacher, right? So that's kind of difficult because how often – I don't, I could even imagine what are parent teacher interviews like right now? If they're still having them, like, is that something that's gone? That, that might be gone now. You know what I mean? Cause now in all reality, whoever the supervisor is of that child is now the principal, the like teacher's assistant, they're the disciplinarian, they're the, the second level educator. Do you know what I'm saying? Like they have all these roles. So what, if I'm going to have an interview with the teacher, what, what is the teacher going to tell me that I don't know? Because I'm there. I'm, I'm the one, I should be interviewing the teacher and being like, yo, what's going on? You know, what are you doing? But that, that's a whole nother can of worms. You know, I don't mean to say this, not trying to jinx it, but if there is a second wave, this will definitely affect how the future of education and, I mean, the equipness of online education will turn out. And, I mean, he went on to say, like, not everyone is being implemented. Like, not all the skills we see in a school or a classroom can be implemented online. Like, what is a phys ed teacher doing during quarantine? Like, are they having a nonstop health class? I know some gym teachers are, like, assigning their kids 
to do like workouts at home and like take videos. I know my little brother had to like take a video of him doing a dance or something. I mean, it's not really far off from how I experienced my fifth grade dance class, but they made us just play like just dance <laughs> the whole time. So I guess that's something, yeah. right? We actually did that in art class for some reason. <laughs> oh, <laughs> play wow. just dance. Was that like a last day of school thing or just randomly? I think it was just a, my art teacher didn't want to deal with us today. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Then what should students expect returning to school in the fall? Fingers crossed. Yeah. So Mr. Weir uh, basically talked about how it's up to the state. um, But here is what he has to say. Well, it really comes from the, the state, typically the governor's office and you know the head of the education department and the health professionals um, who make the decisions uh, impacting the health and safety of all of the citizens so um, we just have to wait to hear you know what's being said and then the the input will be you know how a school system will use whatever resources it has um, to accommodate those um, those protocols. Yeah, I think it's interesting that like a lot of schools are kind of going to have to fend for themselves. Like, I mean, if you're a school that already doesn't have too many resources, like resources coming back after quarantine, or if there's an extended quarantine, will definitely like take a strain on the school community. Right, and I think. I know particularly in the U.S., we have a lot of congregated wealth when it comes to public schools. So, like, you get more funding if your school is in a better neighborhood or, like, a neighborhood that has more wealthy residents. And so there was already that inequality and resources that the schools were able to have. But now with, like, lots of people losing their jobs and everything, I think it's all just going to trickle down and affect the schools even more. So I think the states are going to have to examine how they expect the schools to enforce social distancing when they might not even have enough classrooms for all their students. Yeah. And I think um, Mr. Martin also discussed basically the the main three ways that um, most schools are going to use depending on um, how the COVID situation is going to unfold. Um, And this was, this is what he had to say about the three options that were available for the upcoming fall. And in that case, with regards to the future moving forward, um, I know the the Minister of Ed brought out three three options. One is fully online, second is hybrid, and third is um, like back to normal, pretty much. And that's like best case scenario if there's like very little to no cases. Um, If it's all online, I definitely see that, you know, we probably have to take a a more similar approach to how other uni courses have done it, whether it's, you know, online live class sessions. Um, and that's how I think some unis are doing it. Um, and in that case, it will be more of a synchronous approach where you'd have, again, live class sessions or maybe just post some stuff and you have off, live office hours if it's a hybrid. Okay, so in this case, I think they said there's a max 15 students in class. Now, for me, I had classes that were 26, 32, you know, so those are really cut in half, essentially. And um, in that case, if it's hybrid, I plan to wear AirPods or any type of headphone or earphones. Um, I have my my home laptop that I'm going to bring with me. That, my, my laptop. So, I'm going to have to 
one computer is hooked up to the projector, second computer is facing me, and that will be set up in a Google Meets or a virtual classroom type of setup. Uh, and so students who are chiming in from home will be able to see me from the from my laptop and hear me because I'm Bluetooth connected. Um, and in that case, what I want to also set up is some type of uh, annotation. So whatever I say is picked up from the AirPods and it types out automatically, creating some type of transcript. Uh, so that at least that way, those who are at home will be able to see me, hear me, and also be able to read what I said during the lesson in case uh, they'll be able to uh, learn better from that, right? Um, and in that case, I think, again, all, the, all it really depends on is professional development uh, and teachers getting the training and experience required and needed to conduct their class in that type of way. And not only that, also the technology, right? Like for me, I, I, I have two computers, uh, but others will just have one computer. It'll make it, I don't know how they set it up. Maybe they have to use their phone. So there's definitely a lot of issues and uh, um, issues with access to tech if we go to a hybrid format. Because in that case, for a lot of these teachers, if they go hybrid and they can't record themselves, they'd essentially be doing twice the work. They teach in class and then have to do some type of online setup for the students at home. Uh, my thinking is I'm try, I try to find a way to combine the two in some type of way through technology. Yeah, I also got the chance to ask Mr. Noel what students should expect. And he focused more on the returning aspect. And this is what he had to say. I, I think the expectation for the new semester or whatever you want to call it, the new school year, um, I don't think there can be any expectations. I don't think there's anything that you can, you can go into. It's kind of like, you know how um, all of these sports are trying to come back and play, right? They have grand designs and they're trying their best, but who knows? One person catch COVID, it's over, right? So you can try as hard as you want. And you can have all these grandiose ideas, but it's it's more of actually putting it into practice. So to say that students should have something to expect, I'm not too sure what there is to expect. Right. I think it's interesting for, um, like, when we think about secondary and elementary school, like, these kids don't have as much of a choice about whether they can go back to school or not as, like, college, university students. So I think... It's kind of like, like, what else are they going to do if they're not going back to school? But also, I can see parents being very concerned about the safety of their children in sending them back to school. So it just seems super complicated, but I hope that everything will be safe enough for kids to go, to go back to school so parents can go back to work and everything can return. But Obviously, we don't know what's going to happen. Tune in to a discussion about higher education and COVID-19 during part two of our podcast. Thank you.